We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Today we're here to break down the early combine interviews from Giants GM, Joe Shane, and from Giants head coach, Brian Dable. And I got to com- remind myself every time that it's Dable, not Dable, because I keep thinking to default to Dable. In the past, I've been known to be correct on pronunciations of names. Nick has been on the other end of that. He's been wrong a lot, especially when it comes to Devontae's, whether that be Devontae <laughs> Freeman or Devontae Smith. I got to be honest, though, with you, Dan. I just had a friend named Devonta in the Marine Corps, so that's why I really always think that. That seems like the phoniest story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I will need proof of that. Today, we're here to talk about these interviews. Nick's going to also catch us up on some buzz, some Twitter buzz surrounding the Giants. Obviously, news has been pretty quiet. It's a quiet time for the NFL year. We're going to try to gear up in these next few weeks and obviously in the months, but next few weeks even to NFL draft coverage. I got to catch up myself. Nick's been doing a good job diving into some film. Dan, how was your vacation, bro? Okay. It was a great time. Listen, I spent two weeks in Texas, a week in Austin, a week in San Antonio. One thing I do regret is not sending out a tweet at some point in both trips to see if anybody was it, any of our listeners were in each area. I found out later a listener who lives in Austin. I could have maybe met up with him. It would have been cool to meet up with some listeners, especially if any of you guys are poker players, because I did spend a large contingent of time in two separate poker rooms in Austin. It was the Lodge, Doug Polk's new room there. Awesome place to play poker. And in San Antonio, it was Rounders Card Club, which, you know, if any of you live in San Antonio, it would have been cool to see you maybe play a few hands of poker uh, and, you know, bullshit about the Giants. But Overall, excellent trip. Did it with a cousin and a good friend. We had some great times. We went out a couple of the nights. We did one drunk night of 
of one, two poker, which was hilarious. We just took over a one, two table. And for those who don't know, it's the smallest buy-in table, one, two max 300. We were all in the first hand. We bought in for the minimum all in the first hand. Everyone at the table started to like us. We bought beers for the entire table. So it was a good time just kind of having that vibe. One of the nights I got into a private game. One of the nights with a big wig from Texas, Nick, his name was John Banks, met him playing PLO, just a regular game there in Austin at the lodge. He liked me so much. He took me out to dinner at a really nice restaurant with a couple of his friends. And then we came back and played a private game at the lodge. This was a pretty cool feeling, Nick, being in a private game at a private table where, you know, not everybody was allowed to sit. It was really up to John who was sitting and who was dealing that game and what games we were playing. We played Big O half round and we played Bomb Pot PLO for the other half, which was just a crazy game. For those of you who don't know, it's uh, everybody puts in $15 before the hand blind. You go right to the flop two flops and you try to define the best hand. So it was, it's a really good time out there. And then obviously hit some awesome food spots. Just want to give shout out to a repeat customer for me. Terry blacks had to show my cousin there. We were going to go to uh, another barbecue place. I think it was called Kremlin, which is actually uh shout out to Andrew Silverstein. He, he, uh, he let me know about that former old time friend from camp Wayne way back in the day when I went to sleepaway camp, Nick and, Fortunately, when we got to that, it, it's a food truck, a barbecue food truck. Fortunately, when we got to that, they were sold out for the day. Super popular. So you know what? We hit a tried and true place, Terry Black's, which can never go wrong with. Shout out to the Scoot Inn because I saw a concert there, Houndmouth. Unbelievable venue for music, the Scoot Inn. Just excellent venue. It felt like a backyard concert. Really, really cool place. For those of you who live in Austin, you haven't experienced the concert yet at the Scoot Inn, make sure you do. Find a band you like and go there because that was a super, super cool feeling. Uh, again, like a backyard concert. Uh, as far as other food places, San Antonio, I felt like didn't as, have as much great places to offer. By the Riverwalk and the Alamo, which was cool to see. That place called Rosario's uh, Mexican Cuisine, awesome. Definitely would suggest it. Same with La Fogata. Another place in San Antonio that I would suggest. And then if you're there and you're looking for a good burger, Chester's Burger. So we got three good places in San Antonio, a few more in Austin, a few staples of Austin that we went back to. Um, really, Tex-Mex and barbecue. Those are my two favorite things when I go out to Texas. So definitely another good trip in the books and really, really lucrative one from the poker standpoint. So I can't complain about that. Good, man. Win the money. Win the money, dude. Hit big. And then we'll. Uh, you can come out here, actually. You know what? You can come out here to Phoenix one day. I should I actually hear there's good poker out there too, especially for the games I like to play. So maybe soon we will do. Are you telling me there's plow well. out here? There's, there's plow out here? <laughs> yeah, so actually they do play <laughs> big O P L O, which uh, for those of you who might have forgot, one time uh, Nick saw a book of mine that I was reading on the on the game that I'm playing now, which is uh, big O and P L O eight, which is a high low version of P L O. Pot Limit Omaha. Nick thought it was Plo. He didn't, he didn't know the he didn't know it was an abbreviation for Pot Limit Omaha. So once again, another win in my column, just like the Devontae Freeman stuff. And just another <laughs> L for Nick. But you know what? I took most of them for the year. So over the year. So I'll take a few, a few rare wins when I can get them. But let's talk a little bit about the Giants now, Nick. Let's transition here. We had an interesting day. Finally, some news on the Giants front with general manager Joe Shane having his press conference at the combine. Obviously followed by Brian Dable, who had a press conference as well. But on another interesting thing that not everybody maybe had uh, got their ears on, which was an interview with John Schmelk. So this was Shane and Schmelk, where I feel like a lot of the good nuggets from today actually came from. And that's not a surprise to me. I know the GMs and the coaches are going to be more guarded when they're speaking to the media. They're not they're they're well aware that anything they say can be pulled and used as a, you know, as a headline or used as kind of a clickbait. So they're not going to give away anything too much there, I don't think. But 
really telling interview with John Schmelk. So I want to start at the quarterback position. So there was obviously, you know, when a comment like this is made, there's going to be a big whirlwind of Twitter analysis and commentary on it. Dave, uh, I'm sorry, Shane did say that Daniel Jones is our quarterback for now. And everybody's like, oh, no, what does that mean? They're going to trade him. It's only for now. They don't have any confidence in him. But if you really listen to it, it does sound more like for now means for this season. While at the same time, they both, both Shane and Dable, had some interesting comments on the quarterbacks. The first one that I want to touch on is this. Shane said, backup quarterback is important for me. And you know what, Nick? That is just music to my ears. As anyone who's listened to this podcast for a long time knows, I am a big believer in investing in QB2, especially if you don't have a proven QB1. If you have a proven QB1, I can come around to not investing heavy in QB2. But even then, I still believe that you should be investing in it. Why? It's the most important position. Why would we want to just be like, oh, we don't want talent there. We have a starter. We don't need anyone there. Or, you know, what's the point? The point is that this is the most important position. You should be looking to add talent and depth to that position or to any of the most important positions all the time. Corner, offensive line, quarterback, edge. Find talent, find depth, never stop looking. So it seems like things are going to change under this general manager. And they were not taken, that position was not taken seriously under Gettleman. He threw a fourth rounder at Kyle Oletta and then cut him because he didn't like his attitude. He, and he wasn't a good player anyway, regardless, but he then went from Colt McCoy to Mike Lennon's of the world. So Nick, I'm excited to see what Joe Shane does at the quarterback position, but I will say this, the backup quarterback position, but I will say this. I'm a little less optimistic that change is going to be made this offseason. The Giants don't have any salary cap space. It seems like they've already been priced out of the Mitchell Trubisky market just based on the buzz that Trubisky is receiving right now uh, at the Combine. I know Matt Miller said he's heard more on Mitch Trubisky this Combine than any of the quarterback class, the rookie coming quarterback class. So I just want to get your thoughts on his uh, first opinions on what QB2 and what that position means to him. He didn't just say it's important to me. He said it was one of the most important roles on the team. That does say a lot. And I think that's specific, as you alluded to, to the New York Giants and teams that don't have those elite quarterbacks, those Justin Herberts and those Patrick Mahomes and players like that. But then he also said right after that, that he wants to prioritize depth. But with the current state of the Giants salary cap, that's going to be difficult. So that could be a longer term type of situation for the New York Giants. Right now, as we sit here, I think the Giants are going to go into the season with Daniel Jones, build depth. They want to compete this year, which I'm sure we're going to get into. They said that this isn't a rebuilding year. We want to compete this season. But without a true number one quarterback or or the quarterback that they're going to grow with, how is that competition going to look behind an offensive line that at best is going to have, what, two rookies and a bunch of stop gaps along with Andrew Thomas? The defense could also use some retooling. And I'm not confident the Giants are going to be in a cap situation where they're going to want to invest in priority free agents that they believe fit what they want to do on the football field. So competing in the, in the weak NFC could still be an issue for the Giants in the first year, which shouldn't be a surprise to many people. Yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, the outlook right now for 2023 is not rosy. I'm not going to come in like I did last offseason and predict 10 or 11 wins because, you know, they did go all in last offseason to try to build around Daniel Jones, but they did it in a way that was unsuccessful. What way was that? Well, it was ignore the offensive line, ignore the issues with play calling and scheme, and just focus, hyper-focus on finding skill players to help him out. That didn't work. 
there'll be a new approach this offseason. That's obvious. They're going to shift their focus more toward improving the offensive scheme. They've already done that with Brian Dable. They're also going to, sh- and Mike Kafka, they're going to shift their focus to improving the protection, building a better line for Jones. And that's going to happen mostly in uh, the draft, but I hope it actually happens as well in free agency and trades, which will get to something that interests me later that, you know, might go down that path. But like you said, it's hard to get excited about this team. And I understand that, but also at the same time, it's like, this is not necessarily a bad thing, right? We can't always look at this like the Giants need to improve for now. The Giants need to make this team better for now because that was really the goal under Gettleman the entire time. In 2018, he felt like if I throw a ton of money at free agency at players like Nate Solder and Patrick Omame and out and trade for Alec Oltree, then re-sign him immediately to a big contract, I can win now with Eli Manning. That was wrong. He retooled the thing around Daniel Jones and tried to do the exact same thing last offseason, pushing all these cap hits the next year to the point where they can't get out of a Logan Ryan contract this year. They can't they can get out of a Sterling Shepard contract, but it's going to cost them despite the injury and, you know, everything else we've already discussed. And I'm okay with now shifting the focus, Nick, to know what? It's rebuild time. Let's do this the right way, even if it means we can't really compete or we can't do everything we can, I should say, to try to give ourselves the best chance to win in 2023 in the now. If that means a better 2024, or I'm sorry, 2022, I should say, if that means a better 2023 or a better 2024, it's worth it because long-term, that's more important to the Giants. And this past way of trying to win now, no matter what your circumstances were, hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. And I think Daniel Jones is the perfect option for this because this is somebody who does have talent, but he's not somebody who in my opinion, is probably going to be a long-term fixture here with the New York Giants. He's somebody that if he did have a a great season, like that Josh Allen type of leap, then yes, but I I don't envision that. I just don't see how that offensive line is going to be fixed while he still has to adapt a new system and learn that new system and its terminology and everything that goes with that. Now, what I will say is he's going to have a much better coaching staff around him, in my opinion, specifically with Dable. And Mike Kafka, who has never called plays, and that was also mentioned between Dave Ball and Kafka, who's going to call plays, that has not been sorted out yet. But I believe that this offensive staff is going to put Daniel Jones into a much better chance to succeed, which is a check for Daniel Jones. Without a doubt. And speaking of the quarterback position, I thought they had a couple other interesting comments that, you know, again, music to my ears. One being that they've already started evaluating this 2021 quarterback, or I'm sorry, this 2022 quarterback class. And they've already met with some of the big names at the combine and they will be evaluating quarterbacks in this draft class. That's not something we feel like has, or at least in my opinion, hasn't happened the last two off seasons. I don't feel like the giants have taken the 2020 or the 2021 quarterback classes very seriously. We all heard almost no connection to the giants and any prospects in either of the classes, with the exception of Herbert, who they liked previously, but obviously, you know, weren't, had, didn't have a full conviction on to go, you know, with the Kyler Murray, Josh Rosen strategy that the Cardinals went with. And now they're finally saying, look, we can, we can take this class seriously because we're not set at quarterback. And we haven't, you know, they haven't been set at this position at any point. I don't think at any point during the Daniel Jones era. And so it's definitely refreshing for me to hear that they're taking the 2022 quarterback class seriously, because that's not something we've seen in the past. Like I said, and it is a position that matters most in this NFL. And like I said, they're going to take quarterback two more seriously. They're going to consider more, adding more talent. You never know what you can find. If you dig into the film of these prospects, again, we have all heard like this is a bad quarterback class. But what if 
They dig into the tape of these guys. They see something they really like. Then they meet with them at the combine. They take extra time to meet with them privately, something they haven't done in these past two quarterback classes very often, or at least not publicized. And it seems like they really haven't. And they get to know something about them personally that they like a lot. And they believe can lead to, you know, a franchise quarterback, someone who could take this team to a Super Bowl. And then they bring him in front of the whiteboard at either of these meetings and they show him concepts that Brian Dable likes and he fits well. You know, these were concepts that worked for him at college or these were he sees the field well when, under you know, with these specific concepts. These are all things that they can garner by actually spending the time to learn about these prospects. And again, the most important position, I don't think there should be a single offseason where you don't study the class and where you don't dive deep into that class. I'm not saying the Giants have done that in the past with that past regime, but it just feels to me. Just a guess, but it feels to me like Gettleman and crew didn't really take the 2021 quarterback class very seriously. And they didn't really take the 2020 quarterback class very seriously either. I'm not saying they didn't do any studying of these prospects, but there weren't many meetings. You know, there weren't much resources divulged to learning more about these prospects. And I'm happy that they're going to do that with this class because everyone says the class sucks, but you never know when you could find a great player within that class. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And it also doesn't have to be at five and seven. And probably a lot of people won't like to hear this, but it could also be at 36. Because you're looking at, you know, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral. They, they could be first round picks, Sam Howell possibly on the back end. But what if the Giants value Desmond Ritter in the same light as those individuals? And then they could wait 36 and select. And I'm not saying I want that to happen. I'm just saying that it's an option that could potentially happen. Let's not forget the Raiders back in the day drafted Derek Carr, who I would say is an above average quarterback in the National Football League. They drafted him in the second round early on that day. Uh, early on day two. So I think that's something that, that could potentially happen. I don't personally think that's going to happen, but you you can't rule anything out. And that was basically the overall theme of what Joe Shane was saying at the podium today. Don't rule anything out. And he was saying that in regards to trading players, in regards to trading picks, in regard to accumulating future assets. He was saying it for a lot of different things, but I also think it could mean something to do with these quarterbacks as well. Yeah, for sure. And there, there are definitely going to be classes, especially this one, like where – you know, there's not a guaranteed QB one. It doesn't feel like where there will be talent to be found at the top of day two. Like, you know, it's not just Derek Carr, who, by the way, I feel like it's odd that he did fall to the to the second round, considering I thought he had. I mean, he definitely showed really good arm talent coming into the NFL. But, you know, Drew Brees of the world, obviously, he was short. That was the big reason why he didn't make it. Right, you know, he didn't make it to round one. But Desmond Ritter is an interesting example because I feel like this is not what they're in the market for, but he is probably the most pro-ready quarterback. And I do think he shows really good ball placement, arm talent from a ball placement standpoint, uh, specifically in the red zone from what I've seen so far. So just an interesting name to keep an eye on and just different you know, quarterbacks we're going to be studying now. We'll be doing some draft profiles on these guys now because the Giants have said clearly they're going to study this class, they're going to meet with this class, and they're going to take it seriously. This is not They're not just going to look at it like we're going into this year with Daniel Jones that's it. We'll look at quarterbacks next year. And that's a good thing because only bad teams do that. And I'm not saying the Giants have done it in the past, but again, it feels like they haven't taken these past few couple, I should say, quarterback classes all that seriously. So super interesting there. Obviously, like you mentioned, Nick, he also talked about that Shane. He also talked about how the Giants are going to be open to all calls, all trades, but did mention one player who probably won't be on the trade market, and that's Kadarius Tony. So this was a really interesting comment, I think, because it was a nice um, confirmation, I should say, that the new regime views Tony as strongly as the old regime did. And that's not all that surprising to me because Shane has a scout background, obviously. And scout, if you have a scout background and you just watch what Tony put on tape last year the trip from a trade-space standpoint, it's pretty obvious why you wouldn't want to trade this guy. Obviously, there are question marks regarding Kadarius Tony. One, for me, would be the injury situation. He's been injured his entire career, dating back to Florida. That was the big issue for Tony. It's why he had such a late breakout in college, just because injuries just sapped his entire career there until the very end, and then obviously sat most of his rookie season. And then obviously the second one would be kind of the work ethic stuff and the off-the-field stuff, which has kind of popped up along the way with the Giants. And I know I've read some things like Kadarius Tony needs to grow up, he needs to mature. But if you're just evaluating from a trade-based standpoint, I'm pretty sure that's what Shane has done so far, at least. And he's got to know him a little bit. I'm sure you know he he believes he can mature and become that leader-type player as well. But from a trade-based standpoint, you're looking at 
arguably, in my mind, the second best prospect on the Giants. Is that a fair assessment to make? I mean, you could throw in some names here. You can throw in, um, I guess, Azizo Jolari and some of these other younger players. But I would say Xavier McKinney. And a Xavier McKinney, that's a fair one too. But honestly, I would say that as far as upside goes, outside of Andrew Thomas, and that's factoring in the importance of the left tackle position, from a positional value standpoint and traits-based standpoint as far as upside and ceiling goes, no one to me competes after Thomas and Tony, even Xavier McKinney. And while I love McKinney, Tony's ability to cut on a dime and restart and stop and restart and some of the routes that he put on display, the separation he created in some of those routes, in addition to how he runs with the football after the catch, you know, really low to the ground, pinball style, hard to tackle like a Camara, always moving forward and, and pushing vertically for extra yardage. I really do believe he's he's an elite type prospect, blue chip type prospect for the Giants. So I'm not surprised by this, and I'm happy that they're not going to trade Tony. I'm happy as well because it wouldn't have been for a first round pick. And you're right. The kid has elite level traits in, in certain aspects. Now, can he be elite? That's a question that... I'm not quite ready to answer. He has to put a lot of things together. Like you said, he has to kind of become more of a professional. At least that's what you're hearing from inside the building or, you know, people who are close to the building. And I think all those things can happen hopefully in due time. And most importantly, it has to stay healthy, but why would you trade Kadarius Tony for like a third, the three to five? This is somebody who, like you said, is, has these elite rare traits. Uh, I'm glad to hear that they're not going to trade him. but Shane did say, man, you know, we're going to, Look at everything. We are going to pay attention to every offer. We are going to have our ears open. And I got to tell you, man, that is excellent news to hear. And I know we've brought this up on the podcast in the past, but the last regime was very rigid with that. You know, not listening to a trade at the number two. Like there's there's a lot of examples of this, but right now with Joe Shane, like you get this sense of comfortability in terms of we have somebody who is going to have a plan and who's going to keep his mind and his options open. And I couldn't ask for anything more. And that's what I also took away from this quick interview. Yeah, for sure. And and look, as far as the trading goes, it doesn't always have to be the Giants trade a Tony or whoever it may be. He's on, on the market, but for a round three pick or, you know, a round two pick if they're lucky. It can be player for player swaps. That's something Joe Shane talked about. He mentioned that that's they might be in the market for player for player swaps. And I think if they are going to trade one of the players, that being Saquon Barkley, who Shane also did say can be one of the best backs in the NFL if he stays healthy. And that mm-hmm. to me is more lip service than anything else. If he is on the market and is going to get traded, a player for player swap might be in the best in the Giants' best interest. In general, I'm a fan of if they trade Barkley or Bradbury, any of these guys with value. I'm a fan of getting a player back, especially when it comes to the offensive line, because again, can't just expect and hope these rookies, no matter how high you draft them, to come in and be immediate stars at the offensive line position. Some of them could take a really long time. It took Andrew Thomas some time. It took Garrett Bowles some time. There's plenty of examples of offensive linemen who have taken time to transition into the NFL, especially those that don't have as many vertical pass sets and true pass sets at the collegiate level, depending on what kind of offense and what system they played in at the collegiate level. So if you can find a player for player swap for an offensive lineman, it doesn't have to be a Kevin Zeitler. It can be somebody, you know, on a rookie contract who's cheaper or, you know, a veteran who's not making as much, but has proven himself. That's something I'm in the market for as well. And I'd be interested in as well. Yeah. I'm wondering who exactly they could even entertain with that, like who's going to trade a competent offensive lineman for a running back? I mean, I'm sure there are teams that may have a decent amount of talent and they think their swing tackle or their swing guard who would easily step in and be the best 
starting tackle opposite of Andrew Thomas or starting guard for the Giants, maybe they could pursue something like that. But I think that's an interesting thing to think about, man, because there probably are options out there. And I think Bradbury's name is an excellent option to kind of go over. A lot of people talking about possibly cutting Bradbury. I don't see that happening. I think they're going to go out and they're going to trade because we've seen what, you know, Brandon Bean, somebody Joe Shane worked under, what they did after Doug Whaley was fired as a general manager just after the 2017 draft. They traded Marcel Darius, Ronald Darby, Sammy Watkins, and Reggie Raglan. They traded all those guys, and those guys were all pretty high picks, and they were all valuable to the team. So I think you might see that with, you know, James Bradbury. It could be for a player, but if it's not, you can get like an extra third or an extra fourth and a sixth or, or a three and a five for some of these guys. And in this draft, I think that's valuable because this draft isn't so strong at the top, but there's a lot of depth in this draft. It's a deeper type of draft. You can get some really, you can get some guys who can step in year one and contribute for your team there early on day three. So I think that could be something that we're going to start seeing in the next couple of weeks, Dan, because the combine, yeah, it's great. It's the underwear Olympics. All that's all well and good. But at the same time, man, all these general managers are getting together, making these backdoor deals. All these front offices are meeting at the combine. They're all in one location. So many deals are done that we're going to see come to fruition over the next month. They're done. And the groundwork is laid here in Indianapolis. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's 100% right. I remember a couple of years ago, they got the, he was either at the senior bowl, but I think it was at the combine. They got the JPP deal done with Tampa Bay. Um, that was Gettleman. So you're right about that. A lot will be laid here. We're going to, if there is a trade to be made with the Giants, it might start this week um, at the combine now. I'm not saying we'll hear any information on that. They'll probably keep it under wraps in case things change, mm-hmm. but definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. I thought a couple other things that really interest me. Uh, from these interviews and we'll put them all together and one thing that Joe Shane talked about during his interview with John Schmelk talked about how he evaluates offensive linemen so I think this is interesting for us Nick as we try to predict moving forward what the Giants might look for and who they might draft on the offensive line in this draft while we both agree that they're probably not going to be no they're definitely not I mean Shane confirmed it today they're not going to be a team that says we got to draft an offensive lineman at five we got to draft an offensive line at seven they're still most likely going to come away from this draft with at least two offensive linemen. Let's be realistic about this. Their offensive line is in horrific shape. There's no depth whatsoever and barely any startable players. So they don't really have much of an option. That just means it doesn't have to be at five or seven. They have all these picks. They can find them at different various points, but they're going to find offensive linemen. So what we normally do during draft season is predict who we want them to take because it's hard to predict who they will take. Though last year we did kind of look at some of the things Dave Gettleman liked, which were mainly arm length was a big thing for factor for Dave Gettleman, the offensive lineman he took. And then it ended up not coming to fruition since the Giants didn't draft any offensive linemen last year. But one thing, Joe, uh, the things that Joe Shane mentioned that he looks for in offensive line that could help us, Nick, as we try to kind of narrow down who the Giants are interested in. He said, one, the first thing he looks at is length, similar to Dave Gettleman. That doesn't surprise me. Obviously, he comes from the Brandon Bean background. He said, the second thing he looks for is, can they play on their feet? Do they have balance and body control? And then he said the third thing they look at is toughness, power, and strength. And then the fourth thing is the makeup of the player. He said it's important for all five offensive linemen to like to hang out, to be together. And he said that is important in terms of continuity. Yeah, continuity, cohesiveness, all of those C starting words, man. And that makes a lot of sense. But one thing, I think the length, I'm sure they want length at all positions, but that's definitely more of a tackle thing than a than a guard thing, specifically with Dave Gettleman, because he drafted Shane Lemieux, and it was a little bit later in the draft, and he was in like the 12th percentile for, for length or something like that. So, But for the tackle, you're definitely going to want somebody with 
longer arms. And that's not a surprise to me. A lot of people are looking for length in the trenches because you need to make initial contact and keep people at bay with your with your length. You're looking for big hands so you can have good grip strength. Those are all, I think, things we could take away from this from these tackles. I mean, Charles Cross, Akimi Kwanu, and Evan Neal are the three guys who are going to be considered at five and seven, more so just Ikwanu and Neal, although I think Cross is probably going to have a really, really good combine and he's probably going to vault up to the top, which it seems like he's already kind of starting to. All three of those guys seem like they have pretty darn long arms. So I think we're not going to weed out that conversation there. It's going to be the later rounds that we're going to look at some of those guys and be like, well, this guy might his arms are a little short and then you can start kind of picking and choosing guys that the giants might be interested in based on just arm length. But he also said, Joe Shane, the guys in the trenches, basically he's not going to learn too much from the combine from them. What he learns from right. the combine is the specialty position. So DBs, wide receivers, running backs, how they move their footwork, their hips, their range, their ability to track the ball, all those things. Whereas he kind of has his evaluation already in place and what he needs to know on the defensive line and the offensive line, just based on tape. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's important because I have seen a lot of people, I think it was Duke Manyweather tweeted out earlier today, like how since 2020, I believe he said, the combine's been kind of a joke for the offensive line. He said the drills are terrible. And what you need to know on offensive line, you, you, you can get from the tape and from the film and you can't get almost anything from the combine when it comes to the line, which I think has some merit to it, Nick, but not all because... You know, Josh Norris, who used to work for Roto World, I don't know who he does draft coverage for now, but he, I, I still follow him on Twitter, has shown like really good analytics on one specific drill for offensive linemen has been a, a, not, a knockout. I mean, I'm trying to remember which one it is now. Did you see that tweet? I believe it's not the three cone. It's, it's a short shuttle. The short shuttle, like any, every, pro, he, he put together a list of all pro, offensive line prospects that ran a sub 447, 4.447 uh, short shuttle over the last 10 years. Only 25 players have hit that threshold, and they've combined to start 84% of their games. And he says, including gems in the draft, late-round gems like uh, Jason Kelsey, Matt Paradis, Charles Leno, 84% of career games started for these guys that hit this threshold. So, obviously, one of the busts, one of the only busts is like Andre Dillard, who just injury-based bust. Um, really few others. Xavier Suofilo is a bust. I remember thinking he was going to be good. But if you look at this Jason Spriggs, but if you look at this list, 84% of their career games they've combined to start. That's a great number. So there are still things to look for at the combine when it comes to, you know, just analytics based tra and traits based uh, evaluations of these players. But I would agree with Shane that he's going to get what he wants from these offensive line evaluations on tape. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the combine, it's all well and good. When we talk about this on the combine episodes, it's mainly a thing based for medicals. Like you want right. to get all your medical checks, but the testing is kind of a bonus and a plus off of the entire NFL going to one location to basically test all of the prospects medically, which sucks for the guys who are injured because they're going to probably have to test several different times for several different teams performing the same exact thing over and over and over again with specific team doctors, which is just kind right. of unfortunate and annoying. It is annoying. And it's just part of the process though. And it's something that they it was in some ways lost during that uh, pandemic season. I remember people being like, well, we just have to rely on what the colleges provide us from a medical standpoint, which is super risky. Now the NFL teams are going to get their doctors in on these players, which uh, again, gives them in their mind, at least a better feel for their injury situation moving forward. Who knows if what kind of, you know, who knows how valid that actually is, but a couple other interesting things that I heard from Shane in his interview. This one was also from the Sh uh, Schmelk interview. And that was that the giants are planning to draft BPA 
best player available. He feels that you cannot go wrong when you have a BPA strategy everywhere in your draft, not just round one. And, you know, he he mentioned in the in the same line, like that, that means necessarily, as he talked about, that doesn't mean he's going to come in and, and, and have to force these first two picks on offensive line, five and seven. He even talked about how you can build in his mind, he believes you can build an offensive line from anywhere in the draft. That's his quote. He said, most people, uh, you know, a lot of teams have shown that around the league with starters. He talked about his situation in Buffalo where they have no first rounders in the offensive line. He talked about in Miami, they just had Laramie Tunsil as their only first rounder. He said they've built lines with, uh, you know, rookie free agents and second and third rounders. Now, I wouldn't look at Miami as the best example of building an offensive line. Even when they did have Tunsil, that was not a good offensive line. But I get his point. As you look around the NFL, I think Daniel Jeremiah had a great tweet. In the last five years of Super Bowl teams, the um, if you look at where the offensive line starters were on those teams, they were like over 60% on the back end, you know, day three guys from round th- uh, three, four, five, seven, or day two, day three guys from rounds two and on. And so I get the I get the the notion here that you can build an offensive line anyway, but I do feel like you have a better chance when you spend these early assets on them. So I will be interested interested to see if either of these first two picks does go to an offensive tackle. Same here. And it all depends on the kid too. Like if you have an offensive tackle like Joe Thomas, who is a slam dunk, you're you're going to select that and not just be like, you know what, we're gonna pass on this guy because I can find somebody in the fifth right. round who's <laughs> you know what I mean? So it depends on their evaluation of Evan Neal, given the traits that he actually went over, which is valuable to be honest, because you could like a player like an Evan Neal or Akimi Kwano, but then you'll look at him, you're like, you know what, they don't actually play that balance, but they have the length, and then you can kind of maybe start looking at other players who are gonna be selected around that area and be like, they might actually like this player better. Sorry, to start like weighing different options all i know is the giants are in a good position right now man five and seven there's a possibility that Kayvon thibodeau could fall to five there's a possibility that kyle hamilton is going to be available and both of those players are blue chip players there's not a lot of blue chip players in this draft class right now, the caveat with thibodeau i guess you could say is the todd mcshay report that there, that he might he doesn't play with the same fire that teams are saying that to him it's not todd mcshay saying this off of his evaluation that teams are saying he's going to slide out of the top five because he he's not playing with the same fire as other players i can't really weigh into that right now i still have to get the thibodeau's tape but that is an interesting thing and that doesn't seem to mesh overly well with what joe shane is trying to build right here but that doesn't necessarily negate shane from selecting him but it's something to definitely consider and then you look at kyle hamilton you're like that guy's a blue chipper who could do so many different things for you who could really just bring wink martindale's defense to the next level imagine a combination of safety of xavier mckinney and kyle hamilton and you start looking at that that's bpa right there so there's a lot of different options that can happen and then you have the trade down situation that could obviously happen too it it makes me so eager and excited to see what the heck is going to happen on draft day either way i'm excited and i have a lot more faith and trust in this direction that we have than i've had over the last 10 years uh following the new york giants yeah and it's interesting when it comes to kyle hamilton because i think from early from our early dives into the film, we both kind of have the same feel on him that he is one of the rare blue chip prospects in this class. I think it's like you watch him and I think it's pretty obvious to see and a lot of people have been, you know, and I a part of me wants to be like, don't want to go back down this route that I went with. I with somebody somebody like Isaiah Simmons, right? A player who was playing at a position that was considered not um, as important as maybe some of these other positions toward winning and losing in the NFL. And ultimately, like it would have been a mistake in my mind, at least right now, I would much rather have Andrew Thomas than Isaiah Simmons on this roster. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean Isaiah Simmons can't become a better player. But as of right now, it's not even it's like a slam dunk for me. 
But I also think they play different, completely different positions. So I don't think those two are fair for a one-on-one. Like Zaya Simmons was playing that overhang position. He was playing in Venables defense. Like it's, it's, it was really just like a specific role for him that he was excelling in. I feel like Kyle Hamilton can play in any style defense. He can play the deep half. He can play in the box and he can be utilized literally anywhere, especially like for a coordinator, like wink Martindale, who's going to come in. And if he had, if he had Xavier McKinney and, and, and Hamilton, and he could kind of interchange them in the deep half or have them kind of sometimes both drop into the half. So if they want to play some kind of cover two occasionally and, and have one drop in the box, one drop in the half, one cover the slot, you know, it feels like it could be really, really interesting from a schematic standpoint. And so I don't really compare the Isaiah Simmons hype for the giants to uh, the Kyle Hamilton hype. No, neither do I. I think Hamilton is a is a better prospect than Simmons is overall. Yeah. And you got to look at the two things you look at when a safety. And we're going to get into Kyle Hamilton. We'll have a full draft profile breakdown. He's great in the box, but it's not even just the box, man. There was this play where where Notre Dame was aligned in a too high shell. So he was up in a too high shell, and it was like, like a pitch outside. And the running back starts running outside, and Hamilton like literally shot out of a cannon, defeated two blocks, two guys who were trying to converge on him and block, and then just made the tackle at the line of scrimmage from a too high shell. That is not something that a lot of safeties do. And it was on a fourth and one play. I think Xavier McKinney has that capability. And there were times where Xavier McKinney would click and close downhill and you were like, wow, that was excellent. Now you could say, well, we already have that. So why would you want to Kyle Hamilton? It's like, dude, if you could have both of those players, the offense is not going to know what the heck you're doing because you have such right. a strength on the back end that you can rotate pre-snap and post-snap, send blitz, drop one of those guys because they both have range. And Kyle Hamilton's range is legit rare for a college player. And that Florida State interception, I mean, if you haven't seen it, just look up Kyle Hamilton, Florida State interception. It's one of the craziest things you'll ever see outside of the hash. Being able to pick the ball off on the opposite sideline like that was insane. If you have both those players on the roster, Wink Martindale can do whatever he wants in terms of disguising coverages pre to post snap because there's not going to be any deficiencies. Like, well, I don't want to trust this guy in the in the single high role, you know, but so the offense is going to know, look, they're not going to trust this guy in the single high role. He sucks right. in that role. When you have two players who can execute similar assignments and they're both really, really good at it. It can give you so it can give you so much versatility and so much creativity in terms of what the defensive coordinator can do. They, when I watch Kyle Hamilton, the the player that comes to mind that I'm reminded of is Sean Taylor. That's who I'm reminded of. It's not this; he doesn't have the same style like boom hit stick as Taylor had, yeah. but just that ability to to cover that much ground in that amount of time at that size because he's also a long, big prospect. It's to me Sean Taylor esque, and it's the closest I've seen to that. And there hasn't been anyone like that. In this time. And like you said, I mean, what do we talk about always with young quarterbacks, what they struggle with? And it's not just young quarterbacks. It's like all but five or six quarterbacks in the entire NFL, Daniel Jones included in this group. It's their ability to diagnose post snap. It's their ability to understand how these safeties are going to rotate or adjust to how the safeties rotate after the snap. And not just the safeties, obviously every defender, but specifically the safeties, specifically those back half defensive backs. And if you have two guys inter as interchangeable as McKinney, and Hamilton would be, it just, like you said, it just gives you such an advantage. I understand it's not positional value. You're not taking a swing at an edge here. You're not taking a swing at a tackle. But if he's one of the best players in this class and he gives you that schematic advantage, to me, it's worth it. I know I said similar things about Isaiah Simmons before they took an Andrew Thomas type, but ultimately the Giants hit. They were right on Andrew Thomas. That wasn't a reach. He is worth what they draft him at. I don't know if I can say the same after those first two offensive tackles are off the board. And so if they're reaching for a Charles Cross or someone like that. So to me, you factor in all of those things. And I think that's exactly what they'll do and what they've said they'll do when they say they're going to go best player available. 
Yes. And that, that's why I'm, I'm expecting a lot of different things, man. I don't think, I feel like a lot of people on Giants Twitter are, are pigeonholing the Giants into, it's going to be offensive tackle or it's going to be this. And I can definitely see them take an offensive tackle if Iquanu or Neil are there. And I, I'm going to, we're going to come out with draft profile pieces on Charles Cross, on Iquanu and on Neil, and we'll dive into their evaluations then. But I don't think they're going to force it. They're not going to force it. There's no reason for them to force it. And if both of those players are off the boards, that means a player like Thibodeau or a player like Hamilton or right. could realistically be around or a sauce gardener who I think really fits in with what the Giants want to do. If you want to avoid someone like Stingley Jr. because he has such an extensive injury history and we haven't seen good Stingley Jr. tape since 2019, but that tape was some of the best defensive back tapes you'll find. Yeah, I, I love Sauce Gardner. We'll get to him. I can't wait till we do our draft profile on him. I just, I think it was the, I was watching one game on on, on the cutups that we have. I think it was Bama, and he just, I mean, he's just glued in in man coverage against Bama, and the entire game doesn't get beat. And this is, you know, th everyone says, well, I don't trust Sauce Gardner because he played in in the conference that Cincinnati played and didn't have great competition. Well, when he had his chance against Alabama, he looked freaking awesome. And that's without a great pass rush. Cincinnati doesn't have any kind of great pass rusher scheme. It's just him, man, a man. With, and he's got great length. He's got incredible competitiveness. I just love to watch him play. And so he's another player who I'm interested in just as much as Hamilton. And I personally would take overreaching on an offensive lineman if that is their decision, right? If that's what it comes down to. Or even reaching on an edge if, if, if they don't have a high grade on, you know, some of these other edge players after Thibodeau and after um, – Hutchinson, who, you know, in, in all likelihood, it, if they'll be lucky if one of those players drops the five. But I will say this early feel, Nick, this is just going a little on a little tangent. I never just have a weird early feel that Thibodeau will be a giant. I, I think if he makes it to five, the Giants will definitely take him. That would be my guess here. I just it, a lot of it has to do with his personality and how I feel like he'd be such a his swag would fit so well in New York. Uh, but I do feel like if he does make it to five, he'll be the pick. Hey, I'm not going to complain about that at all, man. Like people don't people that size typically aren't that explosive with those types yes. of movement skills. You know, like he can bend, man, like he can bend, he can contort his body in these wild ways. He's very explosive and he's still like not refined. Like there's still a lot of meat there on that bone that can be chewed off. And, and he can, I, I, he has such high upside as well. I, I, there's a part of me, man. I go back and forth in my mind is will the giants take an edge with one of those two picks. I think it will be BPA. And if Thibodeau is there, if he fits from a culture standpoint, if Joe Shane deems that, then I think you can definitely significantly entertain that option. But there are, there are parts of me that's like, we have heard Wink Martindale say edge rushers are a little bit, you know, I don't want to say overrated, but he's much more about coverage. And you, you can point, well, you know, they drafted Adafi Owe last year. It's like, yeah, but their defense was set. Their defense was really good. Right. Injury. They didn't you need know, a corner. They, exactly. So like, there's part of me that that has that little reservation. I'm not saying I, I fully believe that or fully subscribe to that because I don't think that's fair. And I do believe they will entertain the BPA, the best player available. If Thibodeau isn't there, I don't I don't see them pigeonholing themselves at five or seven, maybe with a trade back into a David Ajabo or a George Karloftis or or something like that. Right. I think that's exactly right. And one other interesting note he said this could give us some insight in when we start to do our scouting um, as far as what he looks for in edges, what he finds important. This is. Um, this is from Shane, not Dable. So he says the first more, most important thing he looks for is how they got their sacks and pressures. He says, one, what downs are they winning? Two, are they the money downs? That's third down and in the red zone. It, he didn't say that, but that's what it is. And three, are they winning one-on-one? -on -one? So, you know, it, for him, it's really is film based when he's evaluating these prospects. He's what they're watching the film. They're grinding the film and they're finding every single sack and they're deciding one, did it come on a money down Two. 
Are they winning one-on-one? -on -one? And these are important things that factor into their evaluations for the edges. And there's a lot of edges too. And that's another reason why I have a little reservation about five and seven, because this class is deep at edge. Like you look down the line, man, you got like Boye Mafe from Minnesota, Sam Williams from Ole Miss, even further down the line, D'Angelo Malone from Western Kentucky, one of the more productive pass rushers to ever play in college football, mainly because he had an extra season because he exercised a COVID option. Arnold Ebiketti from Penn State, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, different kinds of pass rushers in terms of maybe not as speedy, but still... Uh, solid players like Kingsley and Igbarre from South Carolina. Josh Pascal from Kentucky is another one. I've heard good things about Cam Thomas from San Diego State. I haven't watched any film on him yet. So there's just a lot of dudes, man, at that position. It's a deep position. And I expect the Giants to certainly address that position. Will it be at five and seven? I, I guess we'll see. Yeah, time will tell as far as that goes. A couple other things I wanted to mention from this press. So the first thing he said is the salary cap or um, – is the first priority right now for him as a general manager. And he said he has some major meetings with some of the current players in the roster upcoming, and that should give us and him a better idea of what we're going to do by the end of this week. So, you know, we could start to hear big, big stuff on this Giants roster as far as whether that be trading Saquon Barkley, cutting or trading a, a James Bradbury type, et cetera, et cetera. Within, the, within this week, like by the end of this week or sooner if the reports leak. So just something to keep an eye on. The, the over, we know they're going to take, you know, we know they're going to cut through this roster in some way. They have to. They're over the cap. They have to clear cap space no matter what. And so it's going to finally start to come to the surface, I believe, soon. And that's interesting. I think it will be soon, too, man. I mean, free agency, the, the tampering pe period starts in two weeks. And then free agency officially starts on March 16th. So it's coming up, man. And I think a lot of conversations are going to be had in Indianapolis. A lot of those conversations with Shane and the players are going to be happening soon as well. And I think within the next two weeks, we're going to start seeing some stuff. If not, man, I mean, that's if the Giants want to be a player in free agency or at least somewhat of a player in free agency to set the identity that Dable and Shane want to kind of cultivate here in New York. And there's a lot of players on that list, man. We, we did a podcast, you know, the eight-step plan a few weeks ago. There's a lot of players on that list that, you know, you know, we have strong feelings for as people who cover the Giants and Giant fans. You know, you love James Bradbury. You know, you love Saquon Barkley, even though you might have disagreed with the pick. But those guys realistically may not be here when the draft arrives. Yep, exactly. So we'll have to see what happens there. A couple other notes I wanted to bring up, one from Shane and then one from Dable. These are less player-specific and more on the changes that are being made from a technology standpoint. Uh um, Shane talked about how they're working on developing a digital draft board, one that will compile all of the following senior bowl film, school film, scout grades, what the analytics say, coach evaluations, and more as you move around what he was say is a digital draft board. So it assigns like a one-stop shop. It's a one-stop shop digitally. <laughs> this is, and he said also, obviously they're going to find as much GPS data as they can from the colleges, which I believe is in my opinion, more important than anything else. As far as that, as far as what you're thinking of speed, I put a hundred percent more credence on GPS data speed with pads, with the helmets on, with everything on, than what you're going to get from the combine. But he mm -hmm. said he, he wants to get, he wants to give the Giants a competitive advantage from a digital standpoint. So he said, come May, we're going to take a step back and really make sure that's maximized. He said, There's only so much they can do ahead of this draft, but he wants to maximize for 2023. But just goes to show, man, they were so far behind from a digital standpoint with the Gettleman days. And I, I've heard two stories now, one from 
people I won't mention, but one guy who had a, who has <laughs> developed, you know, he's working with a company that's developed like a, a, t- a digital way for scouting and for, uh, you know, keeping up with scouting and the combine and things like that. And he told me he was met with such dismay when he tried to bring it to Quest. Like they didn't even want to entertain it at all under the Gettleman era. And then I heard another person who spoke with a former, I'm not going to mention name, but Giants employee who, who, you know, basically said they just started their analytics department last year, like last off season. That second point is is damning. It's crazy. It's crazy that they didn't even consider it, right? It's like so old school. They're like, you know what? We don't need this. We're just going to. But it's all changing. Like Joe Shane is not going to go down that path. He understands that even if you don't put a lot of emphasis on it, having it as a piece of your arsenal is valuable, right? Like these are valuable things. It's just like something that I found interesting that Brian Dable said. He's like, we're going to have Cade Cox, who they just hired in their uh, new hire for the analytics department. He's going to be in the coach's booth on game days with a headset so he can communicate with Dable. And he said, in fact, Dable said, I'm going to have a couple of my analytics guys up there. Great. Why not? Why would you not have like somebody helping you with time management, somebody helping you with timeouts, somebody helping you with these fourth down decisions instead of just going by gut feel like it feels like this past regime. Ah, we'll go for this for that. Ah, we're not going to go for this for that. Ah, we'll use a timeout here. You know, no, go by somebody who knows the all the ins and outs of the success rates and of, of doing certain things in certain situations or at least to give you an idea. Doesn't mean Dable has to listen to it every time, but at least somebody gives you that second opinion that others outside perspective and it could change your own and shape your own decision absolutely and i don't understand why people were the previous regime i should say was a little averse to that and that first point you made i feel like a lot of teams might have been a little bit a little bit slow to get to the digital draft board but that's definitely becoming more of a thing now and if it does encapsulate everything gps data you know senior bowl film stuff dating back to their college scouts evaluations that's going to really refine the process of scouting so i'm glad the giants are really adopting that i think a lot of teams around the league probably are going to start adopting it but it's really great to see that the New York Giants are uh, getting ahead of this a little bit now that the new regime is in place. Yeah, it was literally just two drafts ago. I remember the one where uh, Herbert was selected, where they kind of, I think it was ESPN or NFL Network, they juxtaposed um, Tom Telesco's draft room with the with the Chargers and his digital draft board versus like Dave Gettleman sitting there at his desk with the big with a big book of like written up I guess draft notes on this class like a huge Rolodex type type looking book and we all joked about it we all kind of put it aside like eh, it's not that big of a deal you know what maybe it is a big deal maybe not having that access that quick hitting digital inability to go from one thing to another oh here's the senior bowl film oh here's what we said about the, the the scout here's what the scout said here's the analytics sec. maybe that does help like maybe you need that type of thing it can't hurt to have that it's kind about of speed con- <laughs> it's about convenience too man you yeah. want everything in one location why do you want to like flip through reports in, in a binder you know like you want everything in one location in a file on your computer that you can access oh easily when you need to pull something up it, it really feels like the twilight zone sometimes just talking about what the giants just went through in that dave gettleman era just crazy stuff to even to even fathom, um, but no, we're past that. We're we're on to the good days. We hope, we hope at least with Joe Shane and Brian Dable in here. All right, Nick, anything else from today's interviews that stood out to you? We hit a lot of the things I wanted to touch on, and I actually really, one of my last points I was going to talk about was that digital draft board, because I do believe it is very valuable. But my main thing about this combine is we know the Giants have a lot of moves to make, and we kind of mentioned this all podcast. We know that's going to happen. Joe Shane has basically said as much. There's going to be so many conversations this week that are going to take place, like I said earlier. And 
I'm just curious on if we're going to start seeing it before free agency or after free agency, because that's going to kind of tell us if the Giants are going to be players in free agency because their backs are so against the wall at the moment in terms of their salary cap. At the end of the day, bro, I'm excited at the fact that those conversations can actually take place, that we have a combine this year because there wasn't a combine last year and it was just relied on pro, pro days. Now you have everybody in one location similar to the Senior Bowl only this is a more of a, I think a professional, a little bit more maybe buttoned up type of situation where actual conversations are going to be had. Yep. Me too. I'm really excited to see. And I'm just happy they now have the opportunity to meet with these players more in depth and get to get a better feel for them. So we won't have, you know, any of some situations we might've had in the past with the combine shortened situations. Like, you know, you come out of a draft class with a player who may, may not be a good culture fit. That, that, that feels less likely to happen now. So very excited for that. Obviously, we're going to keep it locked and loaded on the Big Blue Banter podcast moving forward. We'll do media reactions to some of the big cuts coming up and some of the roster trimming. Free agency on the way. We'll obviously have a bunch on that. And then, you know, in between and certainly after, we're going to get deep, deep, deep into this draft. We're going to do draft profiles like we did last year. We're going to try to beat even last year how many players we did. I already have some interesting interviews lined up. Hopefully, we're going to get some of the big ones you guys liked a lot. Some of the big names. Eric Crocker did a good job breaking down defensive backs for us last draft. We're going to try to get him back in as well. A few of the other guys you guys loved. And I know some people really enjoyed the interview we did with Elliot Chris on draft bets and kind of the gambling aspect and where you can aspect, I should say, and where you can find good value there. So we're going to get him in as well. So good friend of mine off the pod. So definitely keep it locked and loaded here. Thank you to all of you who took the time to leave us a rating and review. We're nearing where we want to get to. We want to get to the 1K mark, a thousand uh, five-star ratings and reviews. Let's see if we can get there. If you haven't already done it, please head to iTunes. Make sure you subscribe, download, and rate and review the podcast there so we can grow because that gives us a chance to you know, be indexed higher on iTunes and it gives us a chance to people search Giants podcast or New York Giants podcast. They'll see ours up early first and foremost. So thank you to everybody who has done that already. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.